Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. When was the last time you chose to do something that you knew was going to hurt? I mean, sure, you jumped into a cold pool, or maybe you had to touch an iron, but we don't typically choose to do things that aren't fun or that are uncomfortable. Today on The Sit Life, we're going to talk about evangelism and why it's uncomfortable and why that, quite frankly, doesn't matter. Hey, we got to welcome back for our segment today, Stories of the Scent Ones. Anna, welcome back to our studio. Thank you. Glad to be back. Glad you're here. What great stories do we have today? Well, today I wanted to talk about Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. That's easy for you to say. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) So Count Zinzendorf was an influential figure in the Protestant missionary movement. Uh, He was born in 1700 in Dresden, Germany, Mm -hmm. um, but mainly brought up by his grandmother, who was a devoted pietist. Um, At the age of 10, he was sent to boarding school, and he learned under the pietist August Hermann Franke. I'm going to for you to say again. No, it's not. (laughs) But (laughs) after the schooling, he continued studying law um, because most of his family had and it was unthinkable to go against what your family had uh, against the family tradition. He's kind of an an elite family, wasn't he? He was an elite family. Yes. And so. I always find his story, his conversion story fascinating Okay, uh, because he's on a tour of Europe yep. and he visits an art gallery Okay, and he sees a painting that illustrates Jesus wearing the crown of thorns. Okay. So art evangelism at its best, evangelism, right? right. Um, <laughs> For those of you that and, don't know this, Anna's whole passion is about art evangelism, using art and that type of thing. I do. I do love it. Um, so I'm pretty excited about this story. So. The painting has this plaque underneath it that says, all this I did for you. Hmm. What are you doing for me? Wow. And that phrase and that picture stays with Nicholas Zinzendorf, and it actually changes his entire life. Wow. He chooses to leave law school, and he shifts to ministry. Hmm. Zinzendorf forms a group called Hernhut, mm-hmm. and these people end up becoming devoted to the Lord in a way that it's kind of unique right. in history. Yeah. Um, they have this urgency to participate in God's mm-hmm. mission. And the urgency that, th- that these missionaries express lead to what is called the Moravian movement. Yep. And the Moravian movement really are kind of our first BAM missionaries, hmm. businesses, missions, missions mission, mission, right. missionaries. They take their occupations mm-hmm. and they go around the world um, hoping that they can have the opportunity to share the gospel through okay. their business. So they'll do an occupation somewhere in the world and use that as the opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus. Exactly. Start a church. Yep. yep. Um, and so Zinzendorf actually oversees this kind of network of international missions. Hmm. Um, and, and you see people in the Moravian missionary movement who are doing all kinds of almost crazy things right. sometimes. I mean, you, you, you hear stories of people who sell themselves into slavery right. to be able to, to go and proclaim the gospel right. to other slaves. Intentionally going to prison. Intentionally going to prison. Um, right. and, but, but through this, they also start kind of like a 24-hour prayer vigil, right. um, which is, is fascinating yep. because it goes on for I mean, years. Yeah. And they, they have people who are praying around the clock for hmm. missions. Wow. Um, and then you see, um, we don't really hear much about Moravian mm-hmm. missionaries nowadays. Right. And so there is kind of a, um, an end to the Moravian missionary movement. Right. And, and part of it was because it probably was uh, so centered around Zinzendorf mm-hmm. and his finances. Kind of personality. He felt self-funded and that type of thing. Yeah. Exactly. 
Um, but he still left a, a very significant impact on international okay. missions, um, and especially the obedience you mm. have to have to go into God's ministry. Right. He died in 1760, but his, his legacy continued on. Uh, one of the quotes that's often attributed mm-hmm. to him is, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Uh, that's what he, he right. wanted for his, that's what he wanted for his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always think it's funny because he obviously wasn't forgotten. We still We're talk talking about, about him today, right? <laughs> <laughs> but he is an example of someone who is obedient and gave his life to preach the gospel. That's great. You know, when I think about the Moravians, I think about Zinzendorf and their movement. I'm always, always reminded of the, 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 the idea that many of these people packed all of their earthly belongings in their coffins, took those coffins on the ship, because they knew that they were dying to themselves and that they would actually never be planning to come back home. Yes. Such an example of sacrifice. That's right. Anna, thanks a ton for being here today. Thank you. Appreciate you helping us tell the stories of the sent ones. Thanks. Hey, hey, so welcome back to the Scent Life Podcast. We're glad that you're here today. I've got my new co-host, Keelan Cook, with me here. Welcome, Keelan. Thanks, Scott. How's it going? Good. How are you doing, man? Doing good. Doing good. Glad to be here. Good. Super. So, man, we're glad that you're with us. So, Keelan, one of the things that we want to try to deal with today is um, the responsibility that we as Christians have to share our faith. Uh, there's this There's this matter that um, you know, if you really want to make a Christian feel uncomfortable, you could ask them about their prayer life. Right. Or you ask them about the last time they told somebody about Jesus. Yeah. And so either one of those really kind of gets people hanging their head. And today we'll talk about uh, personal evangelism and why, you know, why it is uncomfortable. So you, we talked a couple weeks ago, you just came from Houston. You were involved in a multi-ethnic uh, ministry. Is evangelism just uncomfortable for Western Americans? I mean, I think the obvious answer there is no, it's not. Uh, this is one of those things that I think kind of ir- like regardless of where you are, what your context is, the base root of evangelism is the confrontation of a worldview where the gospel comes into contact with somebody else and ultimately says what you believe isn't true. The gospel is. Right. And so at root, there's a bit of you know evangelism that's going to be uncomfortable. Sure. No. Yeah, that's exactly right. But here's here's a couple of uh, statistics that I found. See what you think about these. So Lifeway Research did a uh, a survey a year or so ago, and uh, I found the the findings fascinating. So they said that 55 percent of the people who responded to the survey said that they had not shared Christ with anyone in the past six months. Now. On the one hand, you think, whoa, that's kind of crazy. But what's even crazier about that statistic is that nearly the same percentage of people surveyed, 56%, said that they prayed at least once a week that God would send them somebody with whom they could share the gospel. And 25% said they prayed daily for an evangelistic opportunity. Yet over half of those people still aren't telling anybody about Jesus. What does that mean? Well, I, th- I think one of the things that we, we see in a statistic like that, uh, very rarely, uh, what I, when I was working with our churches out in Houston, run into people who would 
who would want to argue with me about the importance of evangelism. Right. Uh, very rarely would I hear somebody that said, you know, I just really don't think that that's an important thing for people in the church to be doing. Sure. Uh, much more often, I would hear people that were scared of doing it or they were hesitant to do it. Uh, and even very regularly, you'd hear people say, hey, yeah, I do pray for those opportunities. However, there's a point where you start wondering, if we're praying for opportunities, are we really, are we really looking at a situation and missing some of the things <laughs> the Lord's putting in front of us uh, and coming up with excuses for doing so. Sure. So, but, um, you know, we've talked a, a bit about evangelism being uncomfortable for the Christian. Um, but the fact of the matter is we, we kind of live in a culture with shifting ground, too. Absolutely. And that is that evangelism is also viewed negatively by those outside the church. Certainly it is. Um, so what do you think, any any statistics you have come across that uh, kind of highlight the fact that uh, maybe even among non-believers, evangelism is is not welcomed? I mean, I think there's all kinds of things out there that say that. I mean, you've got uh, situations where, uh, let's see, there's a Barna study, yep. uh, in fact, where uh, six out of 10 Americans, they believe any attempt, any attempt to convert others to one's own faith is uh, extreme is the language that's used there. Wow. And uh, when we get to that category of people we love to call the nuns, yep. that number goes up to eight out of 10. So 80%. Uh, yeah, 80% uh, of the nuns would say that any attempt whatsoever to convince somebody or to convert somebody to one's faith is uh, seen as, as extreme. Yeah. So religious extremism, like terrorism. Yeah. Yeah. Puts you, puts you into the same category as a terrorist, yeah. essentially. So between 60 and 80% of all American adults. Uh, think that if you try to share the gospel with them, you might be on par with a terrorist or something. Yeah, and I feel like most people in the church feel that, at least intuitively, right? There's a growing uh, discomfort, uh, and there is this assumption, if we're not careful, we'll we'll bite that idea ourselves and kind of swallow the the premise that, uh, yeah, it's it's actually unloving or it's uncaring or it's dogmatic or it's uh, mean-spirited to suggest that somebody might be wrong in their own personal beliefs. Yeah. So let's let's. Back. So the bottom line is, anybody who's listening to our podcast, if you feel like evangelism is uncomfortable, uh, not something you necessarily look forward to, even though you might think I should do this, I ought to do this, but I don't really feel comfortable. Um, maybe we just say, "Hey, welcome to the party." Join the club, right? <laughs> I mean, we all feel that way. Statistics tell us that that we. All unbelievers and believers alike find evangelism difficult. So now uh, we started this with asking the question, when was the last time you chose to do something that was uncomfortable or that would hurt? And the answer for most of us is we we didn't and we won't choose that. So does this mean, Keelan, that uh, since evangelism is uncomfortable, that it kind of excuses the 60% of us or the 40% of us or the 20% of us? What does not being comfortable sharing our faith have to do with whether we ought to share our faith? Little to nothing. <laughs> I mean, if we're honest with ourselves here, uh, we, we realize, I think, by a plain read of Scripture, that just the central significance of evangelism to the very core of what it means to be a Christian. Right. And so even though it's awkward, even though it may be uncomfortable at times, that doesn't give us a pass. Yeah. So, so that's kind of hard. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things about the Bible. So I think one of the areas when we think about the difficulty of evangelism, I always like to point people to the Great Commission. Sure. You know, Southeastern Seminary uh, is a Great Commission seminary. In other words, we have said about ourselves that our 
purpose in existence is to equip our students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. And by fulfilling the Great Commission, we, we literally mean that we want our students and those who come here to think about everything that God's called them to. They can be a pastor or a youth pastor or a women's ministry leader or church planter or missionary through the grid of the Great Commission. So by the Great Commission, we have kind of one set of verses in mind. Uh, there's verses in Luke chapter 24, John chapter 24, Acts chapter 1, but more specifically, we have Matthew chapter 28 in mind. And so I'm just going to read the Great Commission. And this is, these, this is Jesus' words to his followers right before he ascends into heaven. After his resurrection, he meets them on the mountain. And Jesus says to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So this, this verse really tells us that, the, that the, the marching orders for the Christian is making disciples. Um, so what does that have to do with evangelism? Well, I mean, they're irreducibly related, okay. right? Uh, the first portion of making disciples is, of course, introducing people to the gospel itself. Sure. Uh, and we've we got to be careful here, I mm-hmm. think. I think it's really easy for us, if we're not careful, to even water down the idea of evangelism itself. Okay. Evangelism is, yes, telling people the good news of Jesus. It's also inviting to a response, though. And oh, so if we're right. not careful, we've, we've got to make sure that we realize any any obedience to the Great Commission, it fundamentally, it irreducibly requires that we are speaking the gospel to those who have not yet heard it or have not accepted it, mm. and then inviting them to a response okay. to it is true. Generationally, invitation to change your mind, invitation to accept someone else's belief is often viewed negatively. It's uncomfortable, right? You get someone to the end of your conversation, you say, hey, would you like to become a Christian? Oh, man, this is just really uncomfortable feeling. But what you're saying is, that evangelism kind of necessarily requires this expectation that I'm telling you something, hoping, anticipating, praying that you mm. would come to my way of thinking. Yeah, and that, that's absolutely right. Uh, and we somehow, as Christians, have got to get comfortable, mm-hmm. in a sense, in our skin, being able to say that, yes, this truth that we proclaim is so it's one it's true and it is so fundamentally central to all of life and reality and who we are and and frankly who you should be Mm. and who you are that the only unloving thing that we could do would be to not ask you yeah to to respond yeah that's that's a great point you we talk about the gospel as good news Mm. right and uh, carl f.h henry famously said good news is only good news if it arrives on time that's right there will come a moment in every person's life when it's too late to respond to the good news of the gospel. And so we want to be telling people this is what it means to, uh, to be Christian. So we think about the Great Commission, Keelan. There's this, there's this task of disciple-making, um, but it starts off with Jesus' claim to authority. And um, there are a couple ways to look at that, and so this will kind of be the point I, I geek out just a little bit. So if you're driving down the road and you want to take notes, you can always loop back around and park, but don't take notes while you're driving. If you're on a treadmill, you can stop. But what are you doing? So there's this, there's this part right at the beginning of the Great Commission where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I've talked to Christians who get a little bit frustrated by that because they say, wait a minute, does that mean that? And he wasn't God before that moment, and God somehow gave him the authority here. Uh, and so there's a strange, what does it mean that all authority is given to me? 
Um, some have interpreted that verse to simply mean that Jesus is saying, hey, man, I'm the boss. I've got all the power, so you need to listen to me. And that probably is, is true. But uh, several years ago, I was doing some research on the Great Commission, uh, and I was just struck by this fact, and many commentators make this connection, that Jesus saying all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth is a connection not just to his claim of, hey, so I rose from the dead, now I'm the boss, but there's this connection from that passage of Scripture back to the Old Testament, uh, specifically to this vision that Daniel has in Daniel chapter 14. This is, there's this cool passage where uh, Daniel sees, he says, I see into heaven the, the, there's this one who was coming to the ancient of days, one who was like the Son of Man coming to the ancient of days. And then Daniel says this, and he, this is this Son of Man, it was given to him all authority. Have you heard that phrase before? Sounds like it rings a bell. <laughs> so, it, so the the the, the this, this eternal king who's coming in this vision, it says he was given all authority and glory and kingship so that all the peoples and all the nations and all the languages would serve him. His kingdom would be one that would be eternal, never destroyed. So the cool thing about the Great Commission is that Jesus is making this point which says hey, look, I'm the king. I've been given all the authority. I was prophesied to be this one who would sit on the throne. And kind of the first act of the newly coronated king is, so now you go make other people citizens of this kingdom. Absolutely. Uh, I love the fact that you're highlighting the aspect of that kind of that first piece of that phrase there for the Great Commission, because it's one of the ones that's really easy for us to just kind of bowl over when we're talking about the Great Commission. We really want to get to the, hey, what are we supposed to do? But we forget to really deal with the, maybe the first and the last phrases, right, um, where he then promises to be with us to the end of the age. There's two, two there that are really kind of centering in his authority to do this. Uh, and I think you're spot on with the way you're connecting it to that Daniel 7 um, that, that passage there. Uh, Matthew, as, as you look through the book, there's kind of two big themes that I think there's others, but there's at least two big themes that you see walking through. And one is the authority that people keep seeing that Jesus speaks with. Uh, you see it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. There, uh, the commentary that Matthew provides for us is about the, the authority with which he speaks. Well, when you get to this spot in the books, we're tail end here, we're kind of crescendo right. moment of the book, right? You have Jesus claiming that authority for himself mm -hmm. in a way that parallels that apocalyptic statement that we get in Daniel. And the other thing that really traces its way through Matthew is this idea of the kingdom of heaven. Mm. And when you see those two, they ultimately trace together and they wed in the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. There's this understanding of the kingdom of heaven that is being announced and inaugurated with Christ and his coming. And then there is this statement by Christ at this point where he says, that authority is, in fact, mine. This throne is mine to sit in, and this is me doing so. And as I do so, you who are my subjects, mm -hmm. you who are my citizens, here's what you need to go do. So kingdom work is great commission work. Yes. I think that that's absolutely right. Yeah, it, which really, which really kind of gets us back, loops back around to the opening of the of the podcast. We say it's it's un, it can be uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. People outside of the faith think, man, this makes me uncomfortable. Those of us inside the faith, this makes us uncomfortable. Does it matter? Well, no, because we're citizens of the kingdom. King Jesus is our king, and we obey him. And in that obedience, we're engaged in the great commission 
which is extending the kingdom, making disciples, evangelism. You know, Paul says we're ambassadors of Christ. So it's like we're citizens of one kingdom living in another kingdom, giving the message and the word from that king, right? And Paul says uh, in that that we're ambassadors, that we're making appeals on behalf of the king, be reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. This is what evangelism is. Yeah, and uh, I really appreciate the idea. When you think think of it in those terms, the heraldic nature, mm-hmm. the being a herald thereof, uh, I'm sent on an official mission yeah. in order for me to be able to give you a specific message from a king. Yeah. Uh, and how often does a message come from a king that doesn't demand a response, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that's, that's the situation that I think we find ourselves here in because of the Great Commission. Yeah, that's good. So let's do this. Let's give a couple of practical... Um, uh, steps. So uh, a year or so ago, I wrote a book, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out, with uh, Dr. Steve McKinnon. And in the book, we laid out eight principles for evangelism. This is what it takes to be able to share the gospel um, without, uh, without being stressed and paralyzed to the point we don't think you can do it. But I think the first principle was the most important. That first principle says this, you have everything you need to begin to share Jesus right now. Uh, we think, man, I got to get more. I've got to get something else. But really, you already have everything that you need. There are three points here. Let's talk about these real quickly, Keelan. So the first part was that your your evangelistic uh, efforts are an overflow of your Christian life. You already talk about things that are important to you. Jesus is important, so let's just talk about Jesus. Yeah, uh, without question. Uh, one of the things that I try to, because uh, I run, I run into this issue all the time, uh, working with churches and and different people that say, "Hey, evangelism is important," but I'm just I'm concerned about it. And one of the big obstacles that you see people have is precisely what you just said, right? This idea that I feel like being a good evangelizer is right around the corner mm-hmm. from wherever I am right now. It's right around the corner, and uh, once you are a disciple. You have everything it takes to make disciples. Good point. And so there's this irreducible essence, I guess. Once that has been conferred upon me, I stand in a position to be able to confer that on, on others. Yeah. yeah the, the story uh, in the gospel, Jesus heals the blind man. Yeah. And uh, the Pharisees go to the blind man. Who is this guy? Say he's a devil. I love the answer of the blind man. He says, well, I don't really know who he is. The one thing I know is I once was blind, but now I see. And this is what we mean. You already have everything that you need. Is evangelism uncomfortable? Yes, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for everyone. Does that mean we shouldn't do it? No, we should do evangelism. Okay, how do I do it? Well, I think the first thing is to realize it's an overflow of your Christian life. So you talk about your your kids, if they're important to you. Mm-hmm. You talk about your favorite football team, it's important to you. You talk about your favorite restaurant, it's important to you. You talk about Jesus, he's important to you. So second, uh, the second principle we talk about here is that everyone has a story, and people like hearing stories, and people like telling stories. So let's just tell the story of how Jesus changed our life or how Jesus is changing our life. Yeah, testimony, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we all have one of those. Everybody has one. Right. And uh, I think there is, uh, I mean, there's, a, there's some real low-hanging fruit here when we consider uh, being able to be comfortable 
uh, in that story. Uh, I, I think a lot of people aren't comfortable in their skin talking about those things, Good. though. Uh, and I've seen kind of two two obstacles that people run into on that one, right? I mean, if we talk about obstacles on on the overflow of the Spirit, uh, I'm not quite around the corner on that one. The obstacles on this one, I think you can fall into one of two ditches here of my story's not spectacular enough, mm. Right, I know a lot of people that grew up in church and they don't have a period in their life where they feel like there's some radical transformation. Yeah. That's patently false. Correct. That you went from death to life. That's a pretty radical transformation, regardless of how you know moral you thought you were beforehand. Uh, but but the other one, of course, is thinking that the story is somehow too messy. Yeah. And uh, you watch people create a barrier to being able to talk about their story. Uh, but if we can help tear that idea down, if we can just call that out for the falsity that it is and say, no, you've got a story in your own experience with Christ hmm. uh, that provides you a, a way to have just some real talk with people. Yeah. So, yeah. Think about this. We've all just gone through one of the most chaotic seasons in the history of modern humanity with going through COVID and everything that's taken place. I think every one of us who are Christians have some story to tell on how our relationship with Jesus somehow sustained us, somehow gave us hope, somehow helped us. Maybe maybe it was because everyone around me was afraid, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm afraid too, but I'm not hopelessly afraid. Maybe we lost a loved one, and in the middle of the, the, the mm-hmm. chaos that took place, we're able to have the testimony of how the Lord and our relationship with him sustained us through this moment. Well, and Scott, you're on something really important there, I think. When we start talking about telling stories about Right. So, of course, there's that conversion testimony moment that we all have, and we're typically told, hey, be prepared to you know, share that with others when you're evangelizing. But that's not the last time we have a story with Jesus, is it? No. Uh, and so, in theory, if we are walking with Christ, if we are walking in the Spirit, we, we have stories mm. regularly in life. And uh, as you say that, I even I find myself convicted. How often am I sitting back and thinking through the lens of... Uh, how is this an opportunity for me to be able to mm. connect with people and share how what Christ is doing, not just what he did for me in the past in that moment where I might have walked an aisle or prayed a prayer or whatever, but what he did for me last week. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and even in telling that story, we give the expectation, man, you can you can have that hope in Jesus. You can trust in him too. I'm, I'm not special. I, you know, it's not like I'm God's favorite person and he ignores everyone else. The sustaining power of the gospel in my life can sustain you too if you would come over. So you have everything that you need. It's an overflow of your Christian life. You talk about what's important. Let's talk about Jesus. Everyone has a story. We tell the story. People like to hear stories. And then the third, evangelism happens best in relationships. We all know people, uh, and those people need Jesus. Yeah, that is so true. I think we've got to, there's a couple of things here that I tend to talk to people about concerning the, uh, the relationship thing in general. Um, one, we very often are unaware of the number of relationships we have. That's a good point. Uh, we think, because, man, I deal with it. So I deal with it in students and in evangelism class. I dealt with it uh, when I was teaching evangelism trainings and stuff to some of our churches in Houston. Uh, it's a pretty perennial s- scenario. You're training people about evangelism. You're talking to them about uh, sharing the gospel with people that they know. And well, I, don't, I don't know anybody. And uh, a lot of that, I think, is just born out of not 
thinking through how many people you do actually in fact know. We're all uh, existing in a bunch of different social circles, whether we realize we are or not. And uh, I think oftentimes we overlook some of the ones that are, maybe would be real obvious if we thought about them. But uh, you've got your coworkers, you've got your family members, you've also got your geographic neighbors. Mm. Who's the people that live down the street from you or in the building with you? Uh, if you have children, mm. uh, who are the people that your kids that you have to interact with because of your children? Maybe it's other parents on the sports team. Mm. Uh, you may have hobbies yourself. There's all kinds of different reasons where we find ourselves interacting with people, and we may not think about the fact that they are in, in our social mm -hmm. circles. So one of the things I regularly encourage people to do is sit down with a sheet of paper mm -hmm. and list out your different so circles. What are they? What are the different spheres that I exist in in life? And let's start naming people that I regularly connect with because of those things. And before you know it, you may start seeing uh, names rise to the surface. That's a great point. So, again, as we conclude this podcast, I think we we started with a, a very important truth. That is evangelism causes discomfort for us all. So we just embrace it. Just, just embrace it. We all do things that are hard, that are uncomfortable. Sometimes we eat food that we don't like because we're trying to be nice to the person uh, that served it to us. Sometimes we drive places that make us feel scared. We don't want to be in the in the traffic, but we've got to get from where we are to where we want to be. Let's think of evangelism as one of those things that's uncomfortable, but it's necessary, and we already can do it if we just pursue, uh, just pursue this. Let's just add evangelism to the, to the list of things that we already choose to do that's uncomfortable, but this one's necessary because this one's part of our relationship with Jesus. Thanks so much for being with us this uh, episode of The Scent Life as we think about uh, sharing our faith with those around us. Remember, we, we have a missionary God. We're God's missionary people. God has left us here, placed us here for the purpose of letting other people know what it takes to be in a, a good, growing relationship with him, our creator. And God could use you as his ambassador as you live out the kingdom work in your area. Thanks for being with us this week. If you like this podcast, uh, like it, share it uh, with others. Check back with us next week and uh, make sure that you are telling other people about the Scent Life podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary exists to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, we offer over 40 degrees, ranging from a Bachelor of Arts to a Doctor of Philosophy. The Master of Divinity is Southeastern's flagship degree for anyone seeking to be thoroughly equipped to serve their local church through a variety of ways. Since 1950, Southeastern has grown its student body to more than 5,000 students who seek to minister in the U.S. and around the world. We believe that theological education is more than just building knowledge. It's about becoming who God has called you to be. No matter how God is calling you to serve, Southeastern will come alongside you and help you to grow in your faith and go to reach the lost. If you're interested in learning more, check out sebts.edu to find out how God might be calling you to go next. Use the code THESENTLIFE, all caps, no spaces, and Southeastern will waive your application fee. Hey, welcome back to uh, the new episode we have in our Scent Life podcast, Out of the Tower. Welcome Dr. George Robinson into the Scent Life studio. George, welcome in here. Thanks for having me again. How are things going? 
Going well, going well. Good. So each week we try to take uh, conversations about missions and bring them out of the ivory tower onto the street. We want to be a seminary, we want to be some professors who are really about helping people with the practical elements of missional living. And so uh, we welcome Dr. Robinson in each episode to talk us through that. And so, George, what do we have this week? What's our out-of-the-tower moment or principle that we want to impart to our listeners this week? Yeah, so, you know, oftentimes whenever you're uh, thinking about evangelism, personal evangelism, some have described as one scared person telling another scared person about Jesus. And (laughs) with that tension, oftentimes uh, things can get heated and argumentative. Mm -hmm. And so this week I just want to talk to you about how the fact that nobody in the history of the world has ever won an argument. Wow. Um, If you win the argument, you lose the person. And so the purpose behind personal evangelism is to do it in a winsome manner and and not create unnecessary arguments, not push people Hmm. into a corner, but rather draw people closer Hmm. to you and then closer to Jesus through that. I remember, uh, Dr. Hildreth, that uh, right before I served in South Asia, yeah, I'd never worked with Muslims hmm. uh, before, and they brought at the International Mission Board a, a, a man who had converted from Islam to follow Jesus in to do some training for us on how to engage Muslims hmm. with the gospel in a winsome manner. And uh, one of the things that um, he said to us in that meeting is that if you, if you want to make a Muslim angry, you'll tell them something. But if you want to make a Muslim think, you'll ask them questions. Wow. And which do you want to do? Do you want to make them angry or do you want to make them think? That's a great point. And that absolutely shaped my ministry when I was serving in South Asia. Whenever I felt like the, the, the temperature was going up in a conversation, I would uh, not pull away from the person, but mm-hmm. rather uh, dethrottle the conversation by asking a question and letting that person get off of their chest what they wanted to share um, so that uh, the tension is released in mm. that moment. And, you know, I found myself not needing to argue. Uh, so, you know, oftentimes people think about uh, the discipline of apologetics. Right. And um, I've just never seen, uh, I'm, I, I value apologetics, sure. but I've never seen someone uh, in the audience of this great apologetic debate, I've never seen somebody in the audience convert. Mm. Um, because of the tightness of an argument. And so I want to draw people out with questions and uh, lessen the tension in the scenario. And if anything is going to offend, I don't want it to be me. Um, the gospel is offensive, right? Um, but the gospel can be communicated in a winsome way. And so that's what I'm after. Good. Yeah, asking questions, uh, defuse the conversation. The goal isn't to win an argument, it's to uh, win the person. Win the person. Great, man. Thanks so much for being with us uh, as we stepped out of the tower onto the streets. Uh, this is a good practical, a practical handle for this week as you live the scent life. <laughs>